Christ Jesus is such a, a, a just building us up and going back now and understanding why Paul asked those questions, why he kept on going back and saying somebody he knows from his tours and his just so many times that he stopped in these towns and cities in his missionary tours and talked to people. And when he got done talking about this, you know, these are the questions they were fearful of, right? Well, if grace is that great, so then why don't I just keep on doing what I'm doing? Because if grace abounds even more, then why don't I give him more things to forgive me about? And uh, if we have the right mind of Christ, if we have the right mind, now the mind of Christ, and as again, we're, you know, I've got these two imaginary categories by this pulpit every week that I do speak, and here we have Adam and we have in Christ, and we realize that that's a mindset, that if we can get away with it without too much pain, that's the mindset that we have in Adam. But in Christ, because we've been given a whole new world and a whole new mindset, we now realize that we know that we may continue in those things, but we don't want to continue in those things. Or we want to do our best to put on the brakes. We want to do our best to actually get rid of these things because of who we are. And that's what he talks about to us today in Romans 8, verses 12 through 17. So let me pray before I begin to read. Heavenly Father, it is most great to be here today, to be able to worship you, to be able to be called to worship. We are called by the gospel, and our calling doesn't stop. You continue to call your sheep. You take care of us. You set us by green pastures, by still waters, and yet you call us back to be next to you and be by your side. And that's the role of sheep dependent upon the protector, provider, the one who feeds, the one who calls them by names, the one who knows all about them. And so, Lord, you've given us this calling to be here today with other folks whose hairs you already know upon their heads. Every thought that we've been thinking, every heartbeat, every blood, piece of blood and a volume of blood that goes through our heart and through our legs and our body, Lord, all of these molecules and atoms that keep on working by the word of your power. We are thankful that, Lord, you've given us the ability to be here today, both mentally, emotionally, and physically. And so, Lord, we do enter into this place spiritually at different places. Some are wondering, and some are in awe. Oh, Lord, I pray for the ones who are wondering that today would be a day where clarity would come. For those of us who understand the gospel, Lord, and rejoice in it, we pray for even more awe. Be with us as we hear you speak to us through the pen of your servant, Paul, and we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you, by the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. 
For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. May God bless the reading of his word this morning. Well, last week, the three verses of very much needed, powerful, just refreshing, I hope, faith-building is to understand that uh, Paul is saying, if you're in Christ, you now realize that he uses the three terms, the Spirit of God, the Spirit, and the Spirit of Christ, all of the Holy Spirit, dwells within us. And the word dwells is the word for oikos, is the word house or home. And he is dwelling in us. And to realize that, as I said, one of the great things to take away from this is to realize that no matter where we are, the Lord is with us. No matter where we find ourselves, no matter what state we are in, we realize that the Lord is with us. The Spirit of God is with us. The same Spirit that has been with Jesus from the very beginning, that filled Jesus at his birth and filled him at, baptiz- at his baptism and throughout his ministry and even in his death and even as he was raised up in the cloud, the work of the Holy Spirit of, of, from the time of... Um, from the time when he went up after his resurrection, which too is given credit to the work of the Holy Spirit. By the Spirit of God, he was raised. And in, as we read in verse, the chapter 1 here, by the Spirit of, of, of God, we, the Holy Spirit proclaimed by the virtue of his resurrection, be the Son of God. And we hear in chapter 1 of John's Gospel that this gentleman, this crazy hairy guy named John the Baptist, was calling him the Lamb of God and the Son of God. And, and this keeps on pointing back to, I believe, here why we see the terms of the sons of God. And we see this great, great privilege of having not many Holy Spirits, but one Holy Spirit, the one that was with God in creation, that was present, hovering over the stuff and ordered it all by the power of the Spirit in Christ. And then we see that now he dwells in us, wherever we are, right here now, making this holy ground, holy place. But then I was reading, and then as I was uh, looking at the bulletin today, I do have the bulletin on my phone, we said this. Lord Jesus Christ, sin is my malady, my monster, my foe, my viper, born in my birth, alive in my life, strong in my character, dominating my faculties, following me as, I, as a shadow, intermingling with my, with, with my every thought. So then I asked you last week too, just remember that when we take Jesus everywhere we go and take because of the Spirit of God living within us, remember that every place we go and sin, we take him with us as well. 
So during your confession today, like my confession today, did you think about the times when you took Jesus someplace where he just had a very sad look on his face, where we would grieve the Holy Spirit? That's powerful. That's, that's deterring of us. Do we really want to see, even though God can't love us any more than he loves us now, we are loved in Christ. Christ's work is the finished work. Nothing can separate us from Christ, as we are going to find out in the end of this book. We Remember, we start, there's no condemnation in the beginning of eight. There's no separation in, in the end of eight. And just realize that we, we do this. This is what we do when we, we go our own way, when we rationalize our sinful nature, when for a moment... The woman of folly in Proverbs 8 smells and looks attractive enough for us to go inside with her. So I hope that takes on a whole different view of your sin and what confession is all about and how we live our lives because it's here. But along with that negative side of it, which is really a positive thing because hopefully that will help us to think when we do something again, not to guarantee that we're going to be perfect, because no one's perfect except for Jesus, even though there are people who feel that the Spirit of God has come and dwelled within them, asking them for the second blessing of the Holy Spirit, and they are perfect. I remember standing when I told you about how terrible a theologian my pastor was and told me that I could lose my salvation. He also told me that in Christ now, because I have the Holy Spirit, that I no longer sin, and I'm perfect. I just make mistakes along the way. I always, even as my, in my young faith, I just realized that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but he did love the Lord. He did talk about Christ. He was, just, he was just on the other side of the world from my theology. But he says here, now this Christ dwells within us. The Spirit of Christ dwells within us. And if the Spirit of God, the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, then he says that that is going to be us. No matter our life right now and our bodies are dying and our sicknesses, our mental problems, our, the, the way our, the, the body just doesn't work anymore or just fails to work properly, or we find ourselves in these situations of life, where life isn't the way it's supposed to be, we see here that the Spirit says to us that He is the Spirit of life and peace. He gives us a life that is completely out of this world and gives us a peace that transcends all understanding. By God's grace, He gives us those moments of heaven in our daily life so we can remain sane in Christ. So then he goes on to verse 12, and verse 12 and 13 have been by some theologians, some expositors, some preachers, as a part of 9 through 11, and they ended up at 12 and 13. I liked it, with, as others did too, I like keeping it together here. It's because therefore, right, the word here, so then, brothers, in, in the ESV, but others say therefore, and that is what's in Greek, the therefore. Brothers and sisters, he says, we are debtors not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. Now verse 14 is going to talk to us about 
how the Spirit now dwells in us, and it says that we are led by the Spirit. So this chapter, this, excuse me, this passage is a talking about what it means to be led by the Spirit. And the Spirit of God leads us into holiness, is verse 14. He leads us into a whole new relationship in the adoption of a, being a child of God, which is verse 15. He gives us in verse 16 an inner assurance by the testimony and the witness of the Spirit. And then in verse 17, we come to find out that we are co-heirs with Christ, which when he talks and uses this language about sonship, makes a whole lot of sense and is very powerful to realize that we are now children of the living God. If you want to read a really great book about being adopted and being, in the, children, being the children of God, you're going to find hard press for me not ever to stop talking about Sinclair Ferguson. But here's this book, one of the earlier books before I met him and before I got to Westminster, was this book called The Children of the Living God. It is so good. It just talks about what it, what it is. What are, what are the benefits to being part of this family? What are all the traits? How are we supposed to look like? Very pastoral, very theologically uh, full, but yet just brings it down. You know, any, any theology is a, such great theology when it comes down, as John Stott used to say, the best way to get the kids... Is to, is to help kids eat cookies is to take the cookie jar down from the top shelf and bring it down so the kids can get their hands in it. And this is what Sinclair Ferguson does and has done for the church since God called him in the ministry. More than so many other people, he uh, is great. This is a great book. So um, we see that this, this whole new family now that we have uh, something that I, again, want to go back to, and I mentioned last week, and I've mentioned to you many times before, in fact, this passage, I think I've preached most in my, almost, this is my 39th year of pastoral ministry, and um, I think, and I've preached this, I, every place I go, even for the first time, I preach this sermon, because it's just, it just, it, it gives us the gospel, it talks about justification, it talks about sanctification, it talks about adoption, it talks about hope and assurance in us, and it's from 1 John in chapter 3, uh, actually verse 28, 1 John says this, uh, chapter 2, verse 28, to the end of chapter uh, 3, verse 10, he says, and now little children abide in him so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in the, in the shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Behold, see, it's, it's, it's with exclamation points, behold, look, see what kind of love the Father has given to us, or the NIV says, what kind of love the, the God has lavished upon us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. And the reason why the world does not know us is that because it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies themselves as he is pure. That's the sanctification process. 
Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. So here's this term, which is where people get upset and they get worked up and they say, we've got to be perfect, right? Because we, we, don't, we can't keep on sinning. So they believe because of the Holy Spirit now coming in your life, you're totally sanctified. And there's nowhere in the Bible that teaches that. But notice it says here, the categories, right? Practicing sin. That's the difference than being over here, as we're going to learn, that in Christ, this lifestyle doesn't fit within this lifestyle. So we have to kill. We have to mortify, as the old saints would call it. And when the Spirit comes into us, another old word, the world, word is called vivify. It just brings to life. And so he says, you know that he appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. Meaning that you and I, as it says here, practicing sin, we don't, we don't go and sit down and devise ways of sinning. We don't make excuses for our sins. We understand why we sin. God understands why we sin. But there's no excuse for sin. We understand that life happens. We understand that crap happens in life. And how you and I deal with it is very different. Some of us are chill, and some of us are wired. Some of us have a propensity to get mad and angry, and some of us withhold and turn inside. We all deal with it differently. And then he goes on and uses term again here. Verse 28, he says, now little children. Verse uh, 7, he says, little children, just like just like what uh, Paul is doing here, he's talking about these categories, and they're using these familiar language, right? Children, sons of God. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, don't let anybody deceive you, because that's what's what happening. There was a split going on. John was very concerned about these people. They came in. They were heretics. They were telling people that if you're truly Christian, then you don't live for this world. You only live for heaven or outside of this world, because matter is evil. And so what we do here doesn't make beans of a difference. It's all about being up in heaven and being at this other world. And John says, no. How we live our lives tells us that someday the Lord will bring us to this new world. No one born of God keeps, make, makes a practice of sinning for God's seed. Holy Spirit resides in him, and he can't keep on sinning because he's been born again, born of God. But it is evident who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. So this is, again, as I said last week, this great book of first epistles talks about the three different tests, right? The, the test of doctrine and how we, how we understand doctrine and how we understand who Jesus is then changes the way that we live with live in our lives. How are we morally living? Are we living a sanctified life? Or do we even give a rip about a sanctified life? Do we care to be holy at all? What difference does it make? If we eat, drink, and be merry, and tomorrow we die, who cares? Or from that test 
to the test of doctrine, to the test of, test of morality and, and sanctification, then how do we live with one another? How do we love one another? Do we love the church? Do we love being around the saints? Do we see the purpose that God calls us brothers and sisters so that we are dependent upon and we do lean upon one another? And so that's what John is talking about, and this is where Paul is taking us today. So he says, if we have the Spirit of God, he says in verse 12, if we're led by the Spirit of God, therefore, brothers, we have no obligation to the flesh, because if we're in Adam and we do everything in the flesh and we do everything to, to enjoy ourselves and to scratch every itch that we have, he says, it leads to death. So what obligation? Where are we obliged? What loyalty do we owe to the flesh or to Adam? But, he says, you are not debtors. You are not obliged to the flesh and to live that way. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. If you, but if you by the Spirit mortify, put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. This is what he's talking about, these being children of God and talk about a, cho- a, a lifestyle that is uh, indicative of our new name in Jesus. First John says this, right? He says in chapter 1, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Not everybody's the child of God. No matter how many people tell you that we're all God's children, the answer is wrong. We're not. We're not all God's children. It says born from above. We have received the right to become children of God if we believe in Christ. And then he talks about paternity tests, right, that John talks about it. He says it in his gospel, talking about who do we love? Who are, who's your daddy? Right? Verse, chapter 8 of John's gospel, number uh, 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father, Jesus and Je- they said. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would, do, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. And then verse 43, he says, why do you not understand what I say? It is because you can't hear my word. That's where uh, Paul says that they can't follow the word of God because they, 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 they just aren't able to hear it. They are not able to follow it at all, as he says. They're, they cannot do it. He says, you are, you are of your father the devil, and, you will, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. So we see this, this paternity test that, uh, that uh, Paul is putting out there. If we are led by the Spirit, and being led by the Spirit here is not discerning God's will. Okay, the Spirit led me to do this. The Spirit is leading me to do this. People use that term all the time. He's not talking about this. He is talking about being led by the Spirit into understanding your sin and my sin. 
He leads us to a place where we come to the holiness of God. He brings us to that place and says, this is who you are to be if you're my child. So do all you can to make sure that you do not. Do not look like this, but look like this, as Norm read from Colossians for us. And it's very important to, for, for God uh, to say this to us because Jesus said this to us. In chapter 5 of Matthew, right, he says it in very stark terms. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of the members than that your whole body is thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than that your whole body go to hell. And that's where, if we want to remain in Adam, that's where we go. And you have a choice. Do you love, do you like this, love this life? Do you want to stay doing this? If this is where you want to go, then take, as I tell people, just ride the wave until you get to that place, until you realize you made a bad decision. Or does your heart, is your heart working inside of you? Are you really thinking about this Jesus that you heard about, that you hear about at Christmas, that you hear about at Easter? What do you do with this guy? What do you do with him? What type of manner is this man? Corinthian tells us, Paul even writes about himself in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. This is the very first sermon I've ever preached, ever. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but the only one who receives the prize, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wrath, but we we want an imperishable one. So I do not run aimlessly, like boxing or beating one in the air, he says. But I discipline my body. I try to keep it under control, lest even after preaching to others, I too may be disqualified. So you see this, this work of killing the flesh, this work of mortifying the flesh, it is the work of the Spirit in us. If you are troubled with your sin, then rejoice because you are the Holy Spirit dwells in you. And it is God, the Holy Spirit, who is working in your heart and my heart to make us feel unsettled and saying, this does not feel right. Nor I know I did this, I know I'm having a trouble with this, but this doesn't look right. That's the battle between the flesh and the spirit. And that's the battle that shows that the spirit of God lives within us. That's what he's trying to tell these folks. And he says here, he goes in verse 14, for all who are led now, he says, here's your new identity. Here's this new status as a child of God. He says, for you are, though for everyone who is led by the Spirit are sons of God. Everybody is a child of God who is led by the Spirit. If you aren't led by the Spirit, and what are the indicators of being led by the Spirit? That you know who Jesus is. 
that you know that he is the son of God. You know that he is the Messiah. You know that he is the perfect one from God. You know that he was perfect man, that he didn't sin, that he was the only one that could pay the price for our sin, the only one that could be obedient in his entire life, never sin. It was he who took the wrath and the hatred of God because realize this, our status has changed because we are children of wrath in Adam, but now in Christ, we are children of God. And as Ferguson's book called, we're children of the living God. It changes our status. It changes the way we look at ourselves. It's when you know, as we talked, he's going to talk about you now people that have been adopted. When they get a person's name, it is this wonderful experience. We, I know we had someone in, uh, at the church in uh, New Lebanon that adopted this child and you know, they took their name. It was their name before they didn't, they had a name, but it was disconnected from anybody. Now they were connected to a family. They were connected to something bigger than themselves. Their world was this big, and now their world had expanded because now they had a family. And not just a family lived with, but a family of friends and a family that was extended. Their whole life changed. Their whole world changed because they had a new name. And that's what's with us. Everybody needs to be adopted into the family of God. We are all children and we are all sons of God to those who love the Lord. Talking about killing the flesh in Ferguson's book, oh, another book, it's, it's called The Christian Life. Now this takes theology and brings it down to, again, another practical level. I mean, the chapters in here, are. this is such a great read. Knowing is for living, God's broken image, the plan of grace, called by God, conviction of sin, being born again, repentance, justification, union with Christ, election, sin's dominion has ended, crucifying sin, perseverance, asleep in Christ, glorification, takes down all the different theological categories and brings them by the heart of a pastor into this book. It is just so good. He says this about mortifying the flesh because that's what God's children desire to do and struggle with. He says this, What then is killing of sin? It is the constant battle against sin which we fight daily. The refusal to allow the eye to wander, the mind to contemplate, the affections to run after anything which will draw us from Christ. It is the deliberate rejection of any anything sinful. The end, I'm sorry, any sinful thought, suggestion, desire, aspiration, deed, circumstance, or provocation, at the moment we become conscious of its existence. It is the constant endeavor to do all in our powers to weaken the grip which sin in general and in its manifestation in our own lives in particular has. It is not accomplished by just saying no to what is wrong, but by a determined acceptance of all the good and spiritually nourishing disciplines of the gospel. It is by resolutely weeding the garden in your heart and by also planting and watering and nurturing Christian graces there that putting sin to death will take place. Not only must we slay the noxious weeds of sin, but we must see that the flowers of grace are sucking up the nourishment of the Spirit's presence in our hearts. 
Only when those hearts are so full of grace will less room exist for sin to breathe and flourish. Isn't that great? Ah, it's just good stuff. You never get tired of reading this stuff. For those who are led by the Spirit, led into this new family, led into a life of grace to understand now what we used to say, oh, it's just what boys do? Or this is what girls do? To realize, as I said, the very first chapter of the book of Romans, Norm read it. You go to Galatians, you can see the list or plentiful all over the place. These are the things from A to Z, even, as I said, the very end of Romans 1 there, when he gives that long list of starting with 18, verse 18, disobeying your mother and father. That has all put us in jail immediately. We deserve the death penalty because of that. And, if, and just think, if that's the only sin we've ever done in our life, that is the reason why Jesus had to die on a cross, even for that little sin. That's amazing. Just for disobeying my parents, somebody had to die on a cross? Yeah, if I want to be a child of God, yeah. If I want to, I want to be have eternal life with God himself, yeah. If I want life more abundantly than this is, or I want peace someplace in a life, in this world, that I don't have to depend on someone or all my circumstances to be right, but yet even in hell on earth, I can find peace. That's what he is talking about here. So he says, verse 15, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoptions as son, whom cry, whom we cry, Abba, Father. Now here we go, and it says here, that we did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear. Now, we may not have an understanding of who God is, and that may bring us fear in our life. Whether you're a believer or not, right? There are people who are spiritual, wonder if they do enough, right? I mean, there are Christian sects that take, make people believe that they really have to work hard to be at peace with God or to be accepted to God. And you and I know that that can't be done. And Paul even says in Romans uh, 4 or 5, he says, it just doesn't work. You can't, you can't even obey, you know, in the Bible there's 613 commandments. How on earth is anybody supposed to live up to that? Jesus did, but we can't. If we if we, are, if we go to hell and, we, and Jesus has to die on a cross because of disobedience, disobedience to our parents, wow. There's a long list of stuff. And so here I think what he's talking about, the spirit of slavery, meaning that we can be so, so in, uh, in, in cap, uh, captive to fear that we don't, we're paralyzed that we don't know which way to go, and so we just live our life hoping, hoping that we've done enough, right? We just hope we do enough. We just hope we're good enough. We may not have any religion to speak of, but we just hope we're good. We just want to do be nice to somebody, which is a great thing from a common grace perspective. But if all of our righteousness is as filthy rags to God, then what is a good thing that people do on earth? Well, how can people 
As Roman tells us, that no one does good, no, not one, not even one, what good can they do? And the answer is nothing, because there are no good-hearted people on earth. Now, on common grace perspective, there are nice people, and they do nice things, and they do good things. But when it comes to be having peace with God, we can't do anything that's good, nor do we desire to do that. But the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear is where I'm thinking my interpretation, which others Reformed people have, which seem to be gaining momentum, is what Romans 7 is talking about, is that I believe this is not the life of, a, of an ongoing Christian struggling with sin, even though I truly believe it. Kurt just picks it out very well, portrays it very well. Sinclair Ferguson believes that. But I, I, I'm, I'm in a group of other people uh, that are very well known and uh, are teaching in some great seminaries as well. Believe that this is the heart of a man and a woman or the person who realizes that what they've been trying to live their life is not enough and they realize at the end what are they going to do when they face God. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh, for I have a desire to do what's right, but I cannot have the ability to carry it out. And I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I believe that's the slavery of fear he's talking about. The fear of, of not being able to get to the day of judgment because it is, it a, it is appointed that we once die and then face judgment. And I believe that that's what they're talking about here, that they come because the Spirit of God is working in their heart, and they just get to that point where they realize, have I been living a lie? Have I been living enough? Am I doing the right things? Have I done enough to get into heaven and to get to that point? Have I followed all the laws? Have I been obedient? The answer is no religion, no denomination, nothing gives us any in way with God other than Christianity because of who Jesus is. And so that's what I think he says here. But you, he says, never have to fear because there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. You receive the spirit of adoptions as sons whom cry, Abba, Father. And that's, that's a, a very intimate term, you know, Papa, Daddy. I really have a problem with that sometimes. But Father, and in places it's, it's spoken of uh, Abba, father where we hear that's what the, the term this is a term that that they hated jesus for because jesus spoke intimately that he and the father were in a, in a very intimate relationship and and the jews don't have that the jews just don't have that in fact they don't even have a concept for adoption many people believe that adoption is if paul puts this in here because he's writing to the roman church and he says it again in galatian the Galatians, and he says it again in Ephesians, and those, those were under Roman law, and Roman, Greco-Roman law had a great place for adoption in their society, but not in Judaism, and they had no place, even though Jeremiah and other people talk that about a father with a small f, there was no capital F anywhere in Judaism, except that's when Jesus came along, and people were ripped at him because they said, how can you say that God is your father? They were afraid of being so 
uh, trite and so nonchalant about that relationship that they didn't want to violate any laws. So here we see that he writes to the Romans and he writes to the Galatians because they totally understand that when you're adopted into the family, this is, this is the full rights. This is the full rights of being whatever your last name is now. If any of you have seen, you know, I like all those movies, Ben-Hur and stuff. You see Ben-Hur. Remember Ben-Hur saves this, this uh, officer in the, in the Navy, and he ends up saving his life, and they become buddies, and he takes him on as a son, and he, he adopts him, and he becomes a Roman citizen. And he gets his ring, and he, be, he has all this stature, and even Stephen Boyd has to realize who, and he ends up hating Charlton Heston, Ben-Hur, but he ends up realizing that he is now an equal in the Roman government and his citizenship. And so this is what this is. I mean, it's, as, as Nate was talking about, it just gets better. I mean, it gets higher and higher. I mean, to be called a child of God, to be called heirs. I mean, that's the, ble- that's the best thing anybody could think of, especially in Christ. And so he says, here, we've been given this adoption, which is different than regeneration, which is different than justification. It is now belonging to the family of God. It is now being adopted with the full measure, all the name and all the rights. And that's what we've been given, folks. That's whose name we have. That name of calling ourselves Christians carries so much weight that it is nothing to be nonchalant about. It is not just to say we're Christians. No, we are Christians. We carry the name of Jesus. He's my brother. I mean, that's got to be mind-boggling. And to cry out, Father, and again, Ferguson makes a big thing about this, others do and others don't, is this word cry. The word cry, Ferguson will say, and he says it in his book as well, he will say that the word cry is always used in a place of desperation. Jesus cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The demons cried out to Jesus, don't deal with us, it's too early. Or the Bartimaeus, the blind man in chapter 7 of John 9, he cries out. There's a, there's a cry of dereliction, a cry of need. And we have that privilege of going to God when we need him and to go to him as Papa, as Daddy, as Father, because we realize that this is the only one who can take care of this. As Jen said, these people are in a situation that they're in such financial situation. Well, God wants to hear that. God wants that to happen. God wants that declaration. I mean, it can also be in places that it's a prayer, it's a play of place of proclamation, a place of, of, uh, uh, of a prayer language of intimacy. But I got to tell you, out of the 55 times it's talked about, most of them are about this cry of need and a cry of screaming like, Abba, Father! Not just, he's my daddy in heaven. You know, I just, I have, I understand this. I remember early on, I had somebody in my family just talk about God that way, and I just felt such an irreverence, even though we can come to him that way. I just, I think we need to be careful that it's, we are cautious, that we need to do this. We can do it with intimacy, and we can do it with love, but 
We just don't want to misuse that term. But anyway, this is, we, we, we have this now. We have this relationship with God with a capital letter, letter F, Father. We now have this ability to call him Father, which is our new status, right? And then in verse 16, we have this inner assurance. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, just like John says in 1 John. We have this Spirit's witness. And again, we have to be careful if we say, if, if it's what's a beautiful thing, right? It says in John's gospel that Jesus says, the Spirit will witness about me and witness about the Father. And, and, and you know, we see that the, the book of John is about witnessing and about witnesses in a court and in and, and legal terms. And we see here that, that the Spirit will tell us and the Spirit will remind us who we are. Why, though? Why are we that? Because remember I told you last week, the, the, one of the workers that worked for me out of the 400 people that I had working for me in this big operations unit was saying, came up to me, and she says, I'm a Christian because I spoke in tongues. And I said, big deal. That's, that's your in? That's your greeting card? That's your card? That's your go to the bank for Monopoly? Is that what, that's what gets you in because you speak in tongues? What's your lifestyle like? How do you live? What do you do? Besides working here, what do you do afterwards? Do you go to church? I said, it makes no difference. You haven't read the Bible. You don't know what the gospel means. Because if that's your trump card, lady, you're in serious trouble. But the Spirit is an a, a inner voice, right? It is... It's, it's this presence that he lives within us. He dwells within us. He gives us the assurance. And we got to be careful about that, right? Because people can feel that they're Christians when they can't articulate the gospel, nor do they care about what the gospel is about, nor do they care what the Bible is about, nor do they care what the church is here for. And what Paul is writing to us and God is writing to us is that all of these things point to what comes when the Spirit of God comes into our heart, when we are born again, and these are the exercises, and these are the, 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 uh, uh, the things that we do, the appetites that we have, the exercises that we then practice so that we practice godliness, and we put off those things that are not in Adam, and we put on those things that are in Christ. So we need to be careful when somebody says they're a Christian because I feel into my heart, that isn't a good enough question. That isn't a good enough answer, I mean. We need to press people. And I don't like putting litmus paper in people every time they ask me something. But we do. We need to be an, give an answer for the hope that lies within us. If we can articulate why we feel the Spirit of God is dwelling within us, then that's fine. Then we just go with that testimony. But there is, a, there is a sense, right, when you and I don't have words, as we're going to read the rest of this chapter is just great stuff, is that we, we don't have words. We know, we just sense the Spirit of God bringing our pain. No words, no emotions, nothing. We're just numb with something. And we realize that the Spirit of God is with us. We realize that Jesus is present with us. And even when, when we don't sense his presence, the word tells us that he's there with us, that nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. So we can cry out like the book of Lamentations and the laments in the Psalms and that we see in other places and that we can pour our heart out as little kids run up to their parents and just saying, I don't like this. What's going on? Can you fix it? 
That's this relationship that we've been given, this privilege of the, being led by the Spirit. You see, it's just not this. It just keeps, there's not a suitcase big enough to pack it in. And then he says, if then we are children, if then children, then we're heirs, right? We're, we're going to get everything. He says, Jesus, Paul writes, right? He says, he says, if, let me read it. He says here, he says, he who did not spare his own son, verse 32 of Romans, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Jesus is the first fruits. We're going to look at it a couple months down the road. The first fruits. He is the very beginning. This is the down payment. The Spirit of God is the, the down payment, the seal, knowing that we are in Christ. We have the Holy Spirit within us. This is only the beginning. There are many blessings that he gives to us that it takes to be in it. It's like being in the lottery, right? You got to be in it to win it. Well, you got to be in it. You got to be in Christ to find out, read this, find out what these blessings are. And that's our job is to, even in the midst of our crying and our suffering, we don't know what's going on. And even in our moments of sin, and we ask for forgiveness, we still have that voice. We thank God for that voice. And we thank God for the scriptures. Because, folks, there are times when I feel miles away from God. And I just don't know what's going on. But this is where the gift of being led by the Spirit is that he lives within us. And it says here, it says, um, <clears throat> and this is a kind of a difficult passage to think about too. He says, if we are children and we're heirs, and we're heirs uh, of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided... We suffer with him. Now, that doesn't mean that we have to suffer to get this. The, I, the thing is, is that we are willing to suffer and that we understand that suffering is part of what it is to be a Christian because that's what it is to walk with Jesus. The Isaiah 53, the suffering a servant, right? The man acquainted with grief and sorrow. Read 52 and read 53. John 16, 32. Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come when you will be scattered and each to his own home and you, will leave, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace and in this world you're going to have tribulation. Chapter 5 of the book of Acts verse 40. And when they had called to in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they'd been beat to a pulp. That's my words. They, they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. Rejoicing. Acts 14, when they had preached the gospel to that city and has made many disciples, they returned to, to these places, Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in their faith, saying that through many tribulations, you must enter the kingdom of God. Peter writes, in this you rejoice, in verse 1, I'm sorry, chapter 1 of 1 Peter, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, since it is necessary... 
you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes through it, is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and the honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. How I remember, I wish I remember that at times. I say it to you, I read it, I've spoken about it many times, I read it many times, but you know, when you're, when, when you're going through such pain, you have this temporary amnesia. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter says in chapter two, four, sorry, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. And then he talks, he says here about we, have an, we are heirs and inheritance, right? And Jesus uh, talks about what this inheritance may be. An inheritance could be what Paul says, sorry, what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy, has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. That, that is an aspect that is part of this. What, what are the things that we're, we have in Christ? What are the gifts? What are the inheritance? What is the, the blessings? All the things that God is, the rewards, and all the things that the Lord has in store for us. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, right? What it's going to be like. But then it could be this, in John chapter 17, the glory that you have given me, I have given to them, and that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know, you, know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name and I will continue to make it known that the love in which you have loved them may be in them and I in them. It may be just our inheritance as God himself. It may not be the things, it may not be the rewards, it may not be the crowns, it may not be anything else. It may be just that we inherit this great relationship with God himself. In closing, I woke up this morning at quarter to four, and a strange thing happened to me. I woke up with a hymn in my head. Not that I created it, but a hymn came into my head, and I was singing it while I was waking up. I mean, that's, that's strange. But it is, it's how deep the Father's love for us. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, 
that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. Let's end on that note. Heavenly Father, thank you for this great work that we have by your Spirit from the pen of Paul. Lord, we thank you that you have preserved it for us so that we may rejoice along with the saints of the past and the saints in the future, that we long for the day when this all goes away and all is recreated and we are perfect no longer to have to fight with sin because sin will be gone. And Lord, we have been told that we've been raised with Christ. We have died with Christ. Yet, Lord, we realize that these are things, and crucified with Christ. Lord, these are things that have happened and in your eyes are done. But in our life, we realize that the way Paul is writing here is telling us that these are things that are continuous action. So we need to continually crucify ourselves. We need to continually die to ourselves. We need to, Lord, be mindful of the potential of our hearts. As someone wrote that they found that they have the potential of every seed in their heart, every seed of sin in their heart. And so, Lord, may we be mindful of that. Lord, we realize that you are in control, and so we pray that you would allow us to absorb and to reflect and to rejoice and to be thankful, even for these brief moments, Lord, if it's not for later on, but for now, to, to realize that, see, behold, what kind of love you have lavished upon us that we have been called the children of God. We ask it in